0: and we'll go ahead and start the series. Uh, Well, we started it last week. We'll continue the series Pastor Asa mentioned. We're in this series called Discipleship 101, and the idea of this is to ask ourselves, well, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, football season is starting, and last week talked about the idea uh, that Vince Lombardi came up to this team. You know, the The Packers that had this horrible loss and this defeat, and I don't want to overemphasize that for Sam, um, but he came in and said, this is a football. The idea of getting to the most basic reality, and we need to get back to that most basic reality of this is a follower of Jesus. And so that's what this September teaching series is going to be, but really introducing what we're going to be doing over the course of the whole fall is what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. What does that look like? If I am a follower, if I say I am a follower of him, do I understand what that means? Am I living as a follower as he explains that, as he's put that out there, as he's invited us into? And so this series is to help us get really to this idea of what does it mean to be a disciple. As we think about it, we need to define terms because a lot of times we can be using a word, the same word, but we have different things that come to mind. Um, And that happens a lot of times in our world today, uh, regardless of whatever it might be. But it's like, okay, you're using this word. I don't know if we're on the same page. How many of you have ever seen um, the movie The Princess Bride? Anybody ever seen that one? Classic movie. If you haven't seen that, then there's your kind of, you you need to get your life right. So go see that movie. It's really good. Just joking. But there's uh, one of the bad guys in that movie, if you will. He keeps saying throughout the beginning, inconceivable keeps yelling, inconceivable. He just keeps yelling this. You know, there's this part where a guy falls, and I'm not going to give it all away, but it's inconceivable. And then finally, at one point, one of the guys in his crew says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I, you, you're using this word, you're using this concept, but I don't know if you actually get what that's communicating. I don't think that actually, you actually understand how that word is supposed to be used. In reality, when it comes to saying, I'm a Christian, have you ever heard anybody in our, cult- our culture, in our country today say, well, hey, I'm a Christian? And sometimes you kind of want to look at what's going on and what's being said and the things that they're championing and the things that they're living and all those different things and saying, okay, you're saying you're a Christian, but I don't think that that word means what you think that it means. And we need to make sure that if we're saying, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus, whatever terminology you want to use, we need to make sure we're saying the right thing, meaning the right thing, that we're going along with what he says and as he defines it, the authentic reality of being a disciple based on how Jesus lays it out. Because if we're following him, then he's the one that's leading. We're following, so we need to go with what he says and not what we come up with. And so in this story that we see here in Mark chapter 8, this is exactly what's going on, is that in essence, he doesn't use, the no one says inconceivable, and Jesus doesn't use this quote. But what I see is, let's make sure that we're talking about the same thing here. Let's make sure that we know what's going on. And so there's really two points I want to bring out of this story that we're going to look at today. The first one is this. The authentic discipleship is built on a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Authentic discipleship, to be a follower of Jesus. That's what we mean by disciple, a follower of Jesus. uh, Somebody who is authentically following him, that is built on a proper understanding of who Jesus is. In Mark 8, Um, We're going to look at verse 27 first. It says this And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. Jesus and his followers are going up to this area that's a little bit kind of more in northern Israel, away from the Galilee, away from where all they live mostly, and where they grew up, and pretty, probably a little bit more of a populated area. And along the way, he says, okay, so what are people saying about me? I mean, you've heard me, you've seen me, but what's the word out there? What are people saying? And their answers, it would be really, I found this video, the, what, what this little back and forth is that we have between Jesus and his disciples, a modern day equivalent would be this video of people in Washington Square Park in New York City who were asked the question, who is Jesus? And I want you to see some of the answers that they said. Historical figure? I don't know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person, like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was a marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't, I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like, I'm not going to say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was and so is, you know, we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and He, to me, is the, like, symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that, like, constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like, religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others, and I I think that's just a lot of... Love and and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. Now their answers, their answers are all over the place. All over the place. And we got to admit, the guy with the pigeons was pretty awesome. Let's just make sure that we acknowledge uh, the pigeon guy. Because you all, when you go to the park, you're going to like, somebody in here is going to have some, like, sandwich and, like, sprinkles some crumb. Like, do what you got to do. But p- pigeon guy was awesome. Um, their answers are all over the place. Just like the questions, when Jesus asked the question, the answers were all over the place. So one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting about this is that Whether it's our day and age or Jesus' day and age, when you ask a group of people, who do people say Jesus is, in both time frames you get a lot of different answers and a lot of different ideas and a lot of different opinions. The culture attempts to define who Jesus is. There is this buffet of ideas, choose what you will. But the reality is, is that within all the different options that are there, there's a lot that are contrary to one another. They all can't be the same. But regardless of what somebody thinks, somebody believes, somebody what somebody thinks is true or what somebody thinks is wrong, the question is, who is Jesus? Because we don't define who Jesus is. Jesus defines who Jesus is. But he starts with that, who are people saying that I am? And Jesus asks this question because he wants to cut through the opinions. He wants to cut through the options. And he wants his followers to cut through the options and cut through the opinions. There's all this different stuff that's being said, but let's cut through all of it to get to the heart of the issue. Verse 29, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? I mean, all of this is being said, but are you just taking something that you heard on the street? Are you just taking something that was tossed out there and just grabbing onto it? Or are you thinking this through? Are you thinking me through? Are you considering the reality? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ, and he's, you are the Christ, which that sounds like a great answer. That sounds like, like, if this was a one-question test, Peter passed. But Peter, Jesus says in verse 30, and it says, Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And that's kind of weird, right? He says, what is your answer? Do you understand me? Do you agree with the things you've heard Or have you tried to determine things differently? When Peter says that he is the Christ, he is acknowledging that Jesus is Messiah, the anointed one of God who would come and save people. And again, that sounds like the right answer. You can imagine the disciples behind him going, yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I'm going to go with him. But then their face falls when Jesus says, don't tell anyone that. Because the reality is that they have a specific idea of what Messiah is. I mean, yeah, that's the right term, but it's not the right expectation. Yeah, you're using religious language, but you still have me wrong. And so that reality is our culture can attempt to define Jesus. And we, even though we can say, I want to be faithful, I want to try to figure him out, we can still mold Jesus into our own expectations. We can mold Jesus into our own ideas, thinking that we're being contrary, but we're just being, in some ways, the same. It says. It then says in verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. I love verses 31 and 32 because it says Jesus was the one who began to teach them things. He taught them the reality of the Messiah. He taught them the reality of why he was here. He taught them the reality of what was going to happen. He told them, it says plainly, I want to make sure that you get this. I want to make sure that you understand. Jesus is teaching them plainly so that they can get it. Giving them proper, Jesus is giving them proper understanding of who he is. And then Peter has the audacity, the chutzpah, to come up to Jesus Do you know what that word is? The audacity. I remember one time I was in Israel and I was standing there with this huge group of students and we're waiting to go through customs and there's probably 30 of us. And this one student says to me, Bobby, what's the word? Chutzpah. Like, I heard somebody say that. What is that? Like, they literally asked me that right before we go into through customs. And right when the person asked it, this little Israeli Jewish woman comes up and goes, hey, do you mind if I cut in front of all of you? You're a big group. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And she went in and I went, that's chutzpah. The, aud- the, the confidence, the extreme confidence to be able to come and do something. But what is Peter's confidence? What is his audacity? He rebukes Jesus. He rebukes Jesus. I mean, that's the kind of thing that if you kind of know, knowing about this hindsight, you might want to look at, kind of like, ooh, Peter, like, whoa. Do you really have the audacity to come in and tell Jesus? Your idea of Messiah is wrong. Your idea of Messiah is wrong, Jesus. But then what does Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. He rebukes Peter for rebuking him. Because what is Peter saying? No, 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 Jesus, I, I have the idea of who you are. I have the idea of what it means to follow you. I have the idea of what's going to happen within all of this. And Jesus says, if you think as an individual that you're the one that tells me how the plan of God is, then you're actually, you, this must not come. This must come from the evil one. And so we see the reality is that we don't get to tell Jesus what following him looks like. He tells us what following him looks like. This is where the confrontation with truth is. I mean, this is where you and I have to put ourselves into this story and think about the reality of when I say, who is Jesus? Not only what comes to your heart, but why does it come to your heart? When Jesus puts that question before you, who do you say that I am? Is it just some random verbiage? Well, like, you've heard some of what the people on here said. Well, he was a good guy. He was just highly enlightened. He was all these different things. Because that's not who Jesus is. You know why I know that's not who Jesus is? Because that's not what Jesus said about himself. When you answer the question, well, who do you say that I am? Somebody who is truly following Jesus is. I believe you to be who you said you were. I believe you to be who you have shown yourself to be. I am not getting this from anywhere else. I'm getting it from you. What is the basis of my understanding of Jesus? Am I just going with the crowds or am I going with his teaching? Is what I understand based on what he said or based on hearsay? Is it based on memes and posts and quick video stories that I can see? Or is it found in the truth of scripture? Is it based on my opinions and information, or is my understanding of Jesus on what he declares about himself? This is where you, you have to ask that. Think through this. I have to think through this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And if your response to that comes from Especially in our world today, the quick memes, the quick TikTok videos, the quick blog posts that somebody said, well, without actually coming to scripture, without coming to see what Jesus says about himself, then any idea that you have about Jesus is wrong. And if you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not defining your understanding of Jesus based on what he has said about himself, then you're not really following Jesus. Who are you to say that then? That's pretty bold, Bobby. I'm just telling you what scripture says. I need to hear that. You need to hear that. The reality is, is that authentic followers have an understanding of Jesus based on who he has explained himself to be. Not what we can come up with, not what our world can just throw at us through social media or anything else. We have to find the truth of who Jesus is in his declarations in scripture. Last week, we talked about the fact that he is fully God and he is fully man. We talked about the fact that he lived fully and perfectly. And we talked about the fact that he lived so that we could die in our place and to show us how to live. This truth has to penetrate our thoughts and our hearts, our understanding and our feelings. To be a follower of Jesus means he defines himself. To be a follower of Jesus means I confess my acknowledgment And my allegiance to who he is based on his terms. Authentic discipleship is built on a proper understanding of who Jesus is. The second thing in this story authentic discipleship is built on a proper understanding of the life Jesus calls us to. On the life Jesus calls us to. Jesus doesn't merely say, Be my disciple come follow me, he also makes it clear what that means. I mean, mean, if if you've ever at any point in your journey, I'm sure many of you have been looking for a job or seen an opportunity where there was, you know, to volunteer for something, whatever that might be, there's a job posting. And yeah, it might look good kind of in general terms, but one of the questions that we always want to ask was like, okay, well, what, what are you asking me to do here? Can you unpack this a little bit? Like, what are the responsibilities? What are you asking me? How many hours is this going to be? What do I need to be doing? Or what will I be doing? What will I not be doing? We want things to be unpacked. We want to understand what the expectations are of us. Well, Jesus doesn't want there to be any confusion as far as what the expectations are on us when he says, come and follow me. Not only does he want there to be clarity on who he is, he wants there to be clarity on what it looks like to follow him. And so in this next section, he lays out criteria, the expectations on somebody who says they're going to follow him. It says in verse 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Yet he's talking to those who are already following him here, but it says there's a lot of people around. And so Jesus is throwing the invitation out there. If any of you are going to follow me, and some of you who say you're following me, let's make sure that you understand what I'm asking. And he says three different things. First off, deny yourself. Deny yourself. It's no longer about you. And really, as... As people living in 2022 America, we have to realize that this is the most countercultural thing that there is when it comes to following Jesus. Because the way our culture defines life, the way our culture defines identity, the way our culture defines ethics, the way our culture defines expectations of interacting with one another is that who I am and what's most important and that which I value is something I define, something I determine something that comes from me. And then we get into little silos with people who have defined themselves the same way that I have found, and so we have commonality within that, and may no one tell us anything different. But the reality is, is that whether we're in those little groups or in our individual realities, Jesus is saying is that if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Again, that isn't to say that some of the things that we hold on to, we chase after, we work for, we have fun with, whatever is bad. But it is the defining reality of who you are as a person, how you base the ethic of your life, how you live, your values. Jesus is saying, you have to reject you, and you have to accept me. You have to let go of the cultural idea. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. And you have to find meaning and identity in who I am. Jesus says, I have to become your everything. Scholar David Garland says, Discipleship is not a part-time volunteer work that one does as an extracurricular activity. God refuses to accept a minor role in your life. He requires completeness, saturation, a controlling place. Those who deny themselves have learned to say not my will but thine be done. A follower of Jesus is somebody who acknowledges this. And here's where well why would you want to do that? Why is where is the audacity in Jesus in asking us to do that? It's because on our own we cannot come up with some anything compared to the life that Jesus offers us. Yes, for a little bit it's great. For a while we're successful. But as far as the condition of your soul, the joy of your heart, the hope, hope beyond your circumstances, hope that goes beyond death, peace beyond your circumstances, nothing you can do can offer you what Jesus does. All, everything else that we hold on to will be temporary. Nothing that we can look to will be, can, can fulfill the promises that it makes. Only Jesus can give us the life that we're craving. And so that's why he says, deny yourself, acknowledge you can't do it. You cannot come up with the life you want, and so deny yourself. He says, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Does that mean Jesus is telling me I need to go up and die on a cross the way that he did? No, he took care of that. He did that. He did the death that none of us could do. He died the death that we should have done in our place, but he took our sin and our wrongdoing and everything that causes brokenness in the world onto himself in the cross so that our sin could be, the penalty of our sin could be paid for and we could be made right with God. What are our crosses? David Garland, t- uh, actually, um, Kent Hughes says this, they are not simply trials or hardships. It is typical to think a, of a nutty boss or an unfair teacher or a bossy mother-in-law as our cross. I don't know if my mother-in-law is watching this, but I, or my mom I just wants to say, I do not think of you as my cross. So I feel like I need to say that. They are not. He says this Neither can we properly call an illness or a handicap a cross. A cross comes from specifically walking in Christ's steps, embracing his life. It comes from bearing disdain because we are embracing the narrow way of the cross that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. It comes from living out the ethics of Christ in the marketplace and the world. It comes from embracing weakness instead of power. It comes from extending oneself in difficult circumstances for the sake of the gospel. To take up your cross is to say, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to be faithful, regardless of what that means. It might mean that maybe somebody doesn't want to be my friend anymore. It might mean maybe somebody rejects me. It might mean I might lose this in my life. It might mean people might say this about me. But I'm willing to go through that difficult thing if it means that I'm embracing and holding on to and being faithful to the amazing life that Jesus has given me. Now let me clarify, that doesn't give Christians permission to be jerks. That isn't mean, this isn't giving us license to be the mean, jerky idiots in our culture who just says whatever they want, embrace what anything that sounds people put a religious tag on and then mean to be, be mean to people. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying, though, is that if Jesus has called us to be faithful in a certain way, then we're going to be faithful in a certain way. In some moments, that's really, really hard. And so we take up our cross and we're faithful. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. That we're following the teachings that he has given, that we're following the way of life that he's given us. Not what our culture says, not what a political party says, not what an ideological movement says, but what the kingdom of God says. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says to be this type of a person, have this type of a heart, have these type of values, we're following that. He tells his followers before he ascended, he says, go into the world and make disciples of everyone, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. To follow him is to follow his teachings, not our ideals, not our culture's. And so he makes it really, really clear. If you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself and trust me. You have to take up your cross, be faithful, be obedient, be holy. You have to follow my teachings, not what the world is proclaiming and not what you think. But he explains why following him makes the most sense. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a person to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? And what could a person give in return for his soul? Again, it comes back to what I already said. The life that Jesus offers us is better than anything we can come up with. The life that Jesus extends to us and invites us into. He says, deny, admit you can't come up with this, admit you can't do this, admit that nothing in our world, our culture, work, relationships, whatever it is, can give you what your heart is craving and longs for, what you were made for. It has to be in me. You have to find life in me. And you might feel like you're losing all of this stuff, but the reality is you're gaining everything. You've lost it all to actually get it all. You're getting what you were made for. You're getting the life that you were designed for. And that's just the truth of what Jesus tells us, is that if we're living apart from him, we're not truly living. If we're living life without Jesus, then we're not really living life, not to its fullest, not to its most meant to be filled to the brim, bursting over life that God has for us, which that should really make us think about the reality of what we see in the world. Because yes, things can be so much fun for a little while, but life is deeper than that and harder than that and has challenges and valleys and mountains and everything in between. And the life that Jesus gives us gives us abundance and clarity and purpose and joy and peace through all of it. And nothing in our world can give us that. And so Jesus says, yeah, you're losing it all. But come and receive all that I have to give for you. Authentic discipleship is built on a proper understanding of the life Jesus calls to And so really, it's a basic come back to the beginning. I'm a Christian. Does that word mean to you what it actually means? Well, I I grew up in a Christian home. My parents all believed. That's not what that word means. I'm just trying to be a really good person. I mean, I think Jesus is interesting. That's not what that word means. I, you know, I, I'm better than this other person. We, I've come to church. I mean, I, I help set up in the rain like this whole block. Park. You know, I, I, I try to do good. That's not what that word means. To be a Christian is to, say to, is to say, I am denying who I am and acknowledging who Jesus is. He is Lord and I am following him. I am taking up this life and the difficulties at times it might be, I'm going to be faithful. I know that he, he went to the cross for me. And because of his death, I have forgiveness. Because of his resurrection, I have life. I'm following him and how he's taught me to be, what he wants me to be, how he's guiding me. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so you have to ask yourself, some of you in here, You came in here saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. Does that word mean what you think it means? And maybe today's the day where you need to actually be one, become one, and not just use the word. For some of you, you came in and maybe you resonate with some of the people in that video. And I hope that you allow Jesus to shatter the small, minuscule ideas that you have of him and find out who he is truthfully. The person, the, the one that came to live a perfect life. God present with us to live a perfect life, to be able to go to the cross and pay the death, pay the penalty of our sins on the cross so that we can have forgiveness, that we can be restored to God, that we can be given that resurrected life, the life to its fullest. And that might be, maybe even this whole thing opens up a ton of questions, trying to figure it out. That's Okay but just don't walk away from him because you don't have all the answers yet. Pursue him. Figure things out. Stick with us for more, for more weeks. We're going to be unpacking this more. We're going to be talking about Jesus. We talk about Jesus all the time. Learn who he is. Do Allow him to show you himself through his word and not just the silly things that we can see on social media and other places. Because Jesus has life waiting for you. And I would hate for you to miss it because you rejected a wrong idea of him rather than knowing who he truly is. Are you a follower of Jesus? Let today be the day that you say with confidence, yes, I am. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us. We thank you so much for the fact that you pursue us. We thank you for your death on the cross, the amazing love that you have in pursuing us and making forgiveness possible and raising from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, God, offering us new identities and purpose, joy and peace and hope. God, I pray for everyone in here, God, that needs to begin following you. Let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that they find life. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Uh, Would you stand with us? We're going to do one last song, and this song is very appropriate to what we're talking about today.